Uh, welcome to the Calgary Sessions. This is episode number 29. I'm your host, Jeff Humphreys. Today's guest is going to be a really cool conversation with another um, uh, amazing Calgarian. Him and I go way back um, through some mutual friends, the Cowie family. So um, this will be a really cool, a really cool conversation. Um, introduce yourself, name, and, and what you're up to. Hello, Calgary. <laughs> I'm Kyle Schufelt. Uh, Olympic gymnast, Olympic champion, and uh, now I own a gymnastics center here in the, the city of Calgary, and I also do some broadcasting work with CBC Sports. Yeah, so the last games you were on. Yeah, so I've actually Was it, was known... it remote, or were you there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, we did our job. You don't know where we were. We, uh, for the Tokyo 2020 Olympics, that actually happened in 2021, we called it from Toronto. So yeah, only a very small team actually went to the Tokyo Games. Yep. And uh, yeah, we were calling overnight, so doing the vampire shift. And yeah, it was a very interesting experience, but thank goodness for technology. Well, yeah, because so you were doing that, you're doing the vampire shift and then running your business. Yes, I've got an amazing team, which I think when I first opened the business, that's what one of my mentors told me was hire a team around you that you can trust. And I have an amazing team. So I was able to really step away from the business and they... Made, took it. Yeah, they took it. And cool. Ran with it, and I got to nap, nap in the afternoon, and <laughs> glamorous, eh? <laughs> right, and talk about gymnastics all night. It's basically, the the perfect day for me. Yeah. Um, well, you're gonna have so many cool stories. Um, what I like to do with, on this show is let the guests go back as far as they want to go. So, you know, thinking about childhood, your upbringing, what you're interested in, your inspiration back then. Sports, obviously, a big piece. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'd like just go back to a point in time where you start. You know, the lights were coming on of like, oh, this is. You know, I grew up in this neighborhood. I was doing these things. So, yeah, yeah. take it back as far as you want to go. Take it back. So I, it's actually funny that you asked this question because I have a daughter of my own. She's going to be six here and coming up in January. <clears throat> and I'm thinking about her life so much because I remember my life around five, six. Like, yeah. I don't really remember yeah. much before that. Mm-hmm. So these are really that formational years. Like, these are the years that really set that foundation for the activities you love, yep. the things that you're exposed to are kind of the direction that you start heading in, you know? Mm-hmm. And my parents, my dad was a hockey player. He grew up in Manitoba and he played for the Brandon Wheat Kings. Oh, no way. He was like... Yeah, he was a pretty good hockey player. The Didn't that's, wear a helmet. That's he real. Like, yeah, yeah, you know? Animal. <laughs> a- he's an animal. Yeah, right? Got a few concussions. Uh, but my parents met in Calgary. And then when I was born, I have an older brother as well. So we obviously were hockey kids right we learned to skate when we were little and my earliest memories are at the rink at the community rink which one uh ectas so i grew up in dover and my parents still live in the same house that i grew up in yeah yeah it's been renovated since they've they've done some (laughs) work and expanding to make it a little more open concept but yeah same house and like i was a dover kid and my parents were super involved with the community my dad sat on the board for ectas and just i always remember my parents being really involved in the activities that we did mm-hmm. they weren't just people that showed up and dropped us yep. off they were people that were there and were really connected to the, to the community so i was a rink rat you know i was running around and eating denver sandwiches up at the at the lobby when my brother was playing hockey and i remember being that little kid that was playing all the video games yep. and um, my parents had those tickets that you would buy and they'd have the th- cherries and the oranges and all mm-hmm. that stuff trying right mm-hmm. I, I remember and people could smoke inside of the lounge and there was like a smoking <laughs> section yeah back in the day um but gymnastics for me really started to take off when i was six years old that's when i started gymnastics and i was doing cartwheels around the living room my brother taught me how to do one in our backyard and i just i was upside down all the time how'd you get introduced to it like how do you you know it's uh, Dad plays hockey, so mm-hmm. obviously it makes sense that you're induced to hockey. You yeah. kind of do your thing. Where does the gymnastics introduction come from? Well, my parents had this rule that we had to be exposed to a lot of things. So we did swimming, and we did baseball, and we did soccer, and we did hockey, and we did all the things. But gymnastics wasn't something they put me in. Mm. But gymnastics was something that I just started to do. So I always say, like, I think gymnastics kind of found me. Mm. You know, I just loved being upside down. So you're yeah. just messing around, just messing around, just being agile and just being agile. inverted and just doing all these exactly. things. Exactly. And we had a neighbor who lived across the street. Her name was Lana. Her name is Lana. And she did gymnastics at the outdoor gymnastics club here in Calgary. And my mom inquired to her mom and um, flipped through the phone book. And it was like, there it is. Hey, Altador. And so she phoned the gym and said, I have this crazy rambunctious six-year-old kid who will not stop, being, stop doing cartwheels around the living room and flips on the bed. And so she got me enrolled and I started in the recreational program 
And quite quickly, uh, I think I had a really natural aptitude yeah. for it, and I loved it. And quite quickly, I got progressed into the the competitive men's. Like within team. a couple of years of be, um, it was months actually. Or yeah, yeah. I did about six months of recreational programming. Yep. And then um, Kelly Manjack was the men's head coach at the time, and my coach, his name was Brian, and Brian said to Kelly, "I've got this kid, and you need to see him." Mm. And so Kelly came over, walked over to the other side you, of the gym. You can, like you can. Oh, I I remember can, the moment. I remember no the way. jacket. I remember the way the gym smelt on that day. I remember him, his presence. Yeah. And so he walked over and he was like, "Hey, little buddy, like what what can you do?" Mm-hmm. And I went blunk into the splits, and he's like, "Oh, you're flexible." <laughs> and he's lifted me up to a bar. He's like, "What can you do a chin up?" And so I like kind of kicked my legs and he's like oh put your legs together be like a gymnast gymnasts have nice form and then I did seven chin-ups and he's like oh you're strong <laughs> he's like what can you do on the on the floor and so I taught myself a round off back handspring and he's like oh and you're acrobatic too he's like I need to go talk to your mom so we walked out of the gym and ever since that day I, I progressed over to the competitive side of the gym and Kelly was actually my coach for 16 years until Crazy. until Athens yeah how can you remember that? Why do you think you can rem- remember those details? Like the sights and the sounds and all that. Does that mean you were just, you found what you were supposed to be doing? Like, I, think, I think so. I can remember the day of my Athens Olympic performance, like every moment. I can remember the temperature and I can remember the humidity in the room. I can remember the chalk dust. I can remember the air, like the way that that felt circulating around mm-hmm. my ears because I was so present in that moment. There was, I wasn't distracted. I wasn't on social media. Yep. There wasn't, I was literally dialed into that moment. Yep. I had pulled back every single layer. And I think that's what it was for me as a little kid. I was so present mm-hmm. because I was having so much joy and I was really, I loved being in that, that moment. Mm-hmm. And so I was very present. You know, I wasn't wanting to be somewhere else. Yep. I was fully in that moment. And I think that's why I remember it. Different than other, other pieces of your life, like at school, hockey, like once you're in the gym at all, like when I was playing hockey, I was thinking about the sour soothers that I'd get after it, right. <laughs> or waving got. at my grandma in the stands <laughs> do, and trying to do forward rolls on the ice. Right. I was distracted. I didn't really want to be there. I yep. was just there. I, yep. I didn't have that ingrained passion for it. Mm-hmm. I was, it was just a thing that I did, Yep. but gymnastics was different. Would your, was your family surprised that you were like, that into it at an early age and they just kind of let you go like enabled you to go down that path i was always the one driving the bus mm. you know i my parents were passengers as was my coach and they yeah. were there as supporters and they changed the tires metaphorically and like put down the windows and do, do the repairs but yeah. i was always in that driver's seat it was always me that was leading the way and my parents set such a wonderful example like now as a parent myself mm-hmm. i'm trying to let my daughter guide me mm-hmm. the thing she has a natural tendency towards mm-hmm. she loves to sing she loves to dance she loves to be upside down as well so I try to mm-hmm. steer her towards those things but I, I want to let her lead because I, I've seen so many kids in sport that their parent wants it more than they do yeah and that just never leads to anything great just burnout or just like disappointment burnout, hatred disappointment yep. the kid it's a letdown yeah but when the kid's the one in charge, mm-hmm. making the decisions, um, that always leads to something. Yep. Mm-hmm. So when you're growing up, at a, like at a young age, you're in competitive gymnastics. So you kind of work, you know, weave your way through elementary, junior high, high school. When does it become, you know, after high school, when does it become like all encompassing? It became all encompassing when I was actually in elementary school. High school, I was already full on the train. Like I went to my first Olympics when I was 18. Oh, and uh, that was in Sydney, and so, I actually, which yeah. is the year you graduated high school. Well, should have been the year I graduated. Okay. <laughs> yes, I, I I took a little detour. You know, my sport and this opportunity was right, right. in front of me. Yeah, and I had parents that were supportive of that. And it, halfway through grade eleven, I I was at the National Sports School, and for a variety of reasons, I chose to leave, and. It was mainly to focus on my gymnastics. It was also because there was an individual at the school who was really bullying me, and I didn't like being in that environment. Yep, that's a story for oh, yeah. another time. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> I write about it in my book, <laughs> but which I want to check out, right? 
But it was there. It was in front of me, and I had to chase the dream. I had to go after it, and my parents were fully supportive of that. And I think that's the coolest thing. They let me travel Dude. the world by myself when I was 17 years old. They're like, okay, Good luck. I went to Europe <laughs> with my coach, and sometimes my coach wouldn't even come. I'd meet up with a teammate and their coach. So I would be – I so, once fell asleep on a, in, at the, the London airport – I was waiting for a flight to Glasgow and I fell asleep and I slept for like six hours and I completely missed my flight. Woke up, looked at someone. I was like, what time is it? They're like, it's 5 p.m. I'm like, shit, my flight went. And I had to figure that out when I was 17. Um, I had so many cool experiences, right? But yeah. So grade 11, mm -hmm. um, how many years is that before your first your games? It was uh, about a year and a half, okay. two years. Yeah. yeah. And, and so... In grade ten, were you already did, was the Olympics on your radar? Like, were you a it, was you going to make the team for sure? So when I was a kid, the Olympics at nine years old, that's when it was like I'm going to be an Olympian. Yep. There which a, one was it? Which which nine, was ninety two Olympics? Was that was the first one you were the first one I watched on television. Yeah, and that and you remember it? What do you oh, remember from the ninety two? I remember Jennifer Wood. She trained at my gymnastics club, and she was the first Albertan to ever qualify to the Olympic Games in gymnastics. So she was my first like real personal connection to mm -hmm. the games. So I remember watching her compete and thinking, oh my gosh, she is an Olympian. And then I remember Mark Tewksbury winning mm -hmm. at those games and he was from Calgary. Mm -hmm. I was like, a Calgarian won? So that to me was like, that was a catalyst. I was on the fast track. That's what I really wanted. But as you go through and you're growing and you're going through puberty and you're changing and it gets hard mm -hmm. and you don't want to do the sport and you're fighting with your coach and all that mm -hmm. kind of tumultuous stuff that happens during that period. There was times when I wanted to quit, but I never did yep. because I, I, it was like a magnet. Yep. I just always had this Olympic dream inside. Did you tell people you wanted to quit or are you just kind of internalizing that as like, yeah, I'm close to, I told my mom, yep. I told my coach, I told my sports psychologist, like, yep. I don't want to do this anymore, mm -hmm. but they tried to allow me to be, in charge yeah. and they always said never make a decision on a bad day mm -hmm. like you want to quit today because it's a bad day mm -hmm. you know you got to go back tomorrow and yep. you have to give this a little more time and if after that you want to quit then you can mm -hmm. but it always was just a bad day and things would turn around right yep but yeah it was about grade grade 10 grade 11 when i i knew that the sydney olympics were on the horizon and i had an outside shot outside outside shot because I was still a junior level athlete. Right. I hadn't really proven myself internationally. I'd competed at different international meets as a kid in, um, you know, in Hungary and in Austria and done some international invitationals, but never really the big stuff. But in 98, I got an opportunity to compete at the World Youth Games, and that was in Moscow. Hmm. And I was a junior level athlete. Four Canadian men went. And at those at those championships, it's like the Youth Olympics, basically, I came second on the floor exercise. And... I think that's where there was kind of a buzz starting, like, oh, mm. Kyle could mm. maybe do something. And as an athlete, you can feel that. You yep. can feel that expectation, and you can feel that, like, that um, the other people are watching you, and you yep. can tell that they see something in you. You can just feel it. And did you, yeah. when you feel that, what did you think? You're like, I got this? Like, well, I, it's scary. Yep. It's scary, but I, I, I knew I wanted to be one of the best. Mm. And it's like you kind of start peeling back the layers a bit. You start acting a bit more professional in the gym. You start being a bit more of a mentor. When you're having a bad day, you can't just kick the pommel horse anymore. Yep. You kind of see yep. the kids are watching you. And I also really paid keen attention to what the top athletes were doing from Russia. I was watching their training and watching their conditioning and watching their tenacity and the way that they would overcome the obstacles in training each day. Yep. And I'm like, okay, I need to do more of that. Like I had to become more tough mm -hmm. physically and mentally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so after you, after those games, mm -hmm. you finish second, mm -hmm. you come back with um, a new focus. So you're like, now the Olympics are like. There's like a momentum. Yeah. A more, there's a motivation. You know, you feel, you can taste it a little bit. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like the snowball starts rolling down the hill and it starts getting bigger. Yep. And it starts gaining momentum and you feel stronger and more powerful. And the goal, it's like, it starts pulling you even harder. It's like this force. I, it, I can't explain it, but. When you really want something and it's right there in front of you, yep. you either go and get it or yep. you run in the other direction. Mm -hmm. And I focused and went. and went after it. And everyone around you was just letting you drive mm -hmm. and you could just kind of make all the decisions yep. you needed to to get to that spot? Yeah. 
mainly, <laughs> you, know. you know, yeah, it was, I had kind of this rule within my family that we didn't really talk about that stuff. Mm. You know, my parents, when I was 17, I went on the World Cup circuit. The Canadian, this is a bit of a long story, but the Canadian men's team ended up 18th at the 99 Worlds. So they didn't qualify a full team to the Olympics. Only the top 12 teams did, yep. but they got two spots. So because they didn't qualify a team, instantly it was they were looking for two people two. that could make an impact. Mm -hmm. And so they chose me as a young junior. They're like, okay, well, this guy maybe can do things at the Athens Olympics or at the Beijing Olympics. So let's give him a chance to try to qualify to this Olympics. He'll gain experience and maybe yep. he can be a leader. And so at 17, they took a chance on me and they sent me around the world to these World Cups to try to earn a second spot to the Olympics. I had to meet a, a Canadian Olympic Committee standard. Yep. And I ended up placing top eight at these meets. And then it was like, I placed top eight at three of them. And then I came third at one against the world's best. And I felt like I belonged. Mm -hmm. At first I didn't. At my very first one, I I'm walked like, how in. How nervous are you? Oh my God, I walked into my first one and my idol, Alexei Nemov, was right there. I was like, my eyes got so big and I was so afraid. And I was shy. I was a bit shy. I'm not shy anymore in my life, but at that time I was, I wasn't going over to him and saying hi. Mm -hmm. I was like, holy shit, that's Alexei <laughs> Nemov. Like, but he came over to me and he shook my hand and he like basically welcomed me because he knew my teammate, Sasha, and he just made me feel welcome. And then when I started competing, I showed my, I showed my, uh, my talent yep. and I showed that I belonged. Mm -hmm. And I started to feel that too. Yeah. And, that, and that just feels it all. Like it just, the machine, like I said, the snowball just gets rolling. And yes. And then you start dissecting your routine. You start looking at what the other people are doing and you start looking back at your routines. We didn't have like the access to mm -hmm. video that we do now, but my, my coach would like <laughs> bring a video camera. Like and the old like, school, like VHS yeah, well, not like the huge one that you bring in broadcasting <laughs> school, but the one that like the little yeah, one yeah. with the tape yeah, and the he'd video up. and then we'd watch the routine over and it's like, okay, you can make this a little bit better. Oh, hold your chest this way. Oh, your arm can be this way. Okay. On that landing. Oh, let's adjust this pass so that you can mm -hmm. minimize the deductions. Mm -hmm. So then you start really playing that game of Tetris mm -hmm. to try to put together like the perfect routine. Yep. So, so where's the, when you're when you're on this circuit at 17, mm -hmm. the games the games that are right there they already happened. Like Sydney was happening. Sydney was happening that September. Okay. And it was March when I started on the circuit. Yep. So they were yeah just less than a year away. And so you can kind of taste it. And mm -hmm. everyone around you is getting built building up towards that. Yep. You know the best athletes aren't their best in March. They're best in September. Mm -hmm. But you can start to feel their momentum as well. So everyone starts to get a little bit better. And is your, when you're, you know, when you're on the road by yourself at a young age, you're, you're competing at a high level, mm -hmm. is it, is it stressful? Does it feel like you're in the right, you're in the right spot? Like where are you, what are you feeling when you're going through these things at that age? It felt right. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. you just like the stress was there certainly, mm -hmm. but I had to learn how to be, I had to learn how to be comfortable in the discomfort. There was no, I I couldn't FaceTime my family or friends. Mm -hmm. I would have to go buy a calling card and find a phone and call my parents mm -hmm. and get a five minute call in for the 20 bucks or whatever it was. Yep. So you got you had to really rely on your teammates. You had to rely on your coach and you had to build strong friendships and relationships with people from around the world. Mm -hmm. So we became like a big global team. And in gymnastics, you aren't competing against other people. You're actually competing against yourself. It's you against yourself at yep. the end of the day. You can have a great performance and still be fifth because the other people could be better, yep. but there's nothing you can do to control them. You can't score goals against them, mm -hmm. right? It's their routine. If they do it the best, then that's what they do. Yep. So you, there's this camaraderie that you just develop and you, yeah, you start to talk through things with your friend from the Czech Republic mm -hmm. on your bed in the hotel room mm -hmm. while you're watching MTV and like, yep. oh man, I'm feeling so nervous about this. And oh yeah, I felt that way too. And here's what I do, you know? So, which is different, right? Yeah. In, in a lot of sports, I don't, you know, obviously I don't know. <laughs> it, growing, growing up playing hockey, you can't just, mm -hmm. there's not that, like the other team, you're, mm -hmm. you know, you score, you win, you're trying to like beat them, but you're to actually have somebody that you're competing against as a mentor, a ear, it's different. I've been going back on memory lane a lot, just wondering. Why? Why? What? Your, well, just your daughter? wondering because of my daughter, but also just like trying. I think the older you get, the more you realize mm -hmm. how the things you've done and how you didn't really appreciate them in the moment, mm -hmm. like how great they were. Mm -hmm. And 
yeah, I've been reflecting back a lot. Like that was one of the best, that was probably the best time of my life was traveling around the world, doing the sport that I loved, making these really strong, long lasting friendships and chasing a dream. Mm. Like I felt such a great sense of purpose and fulfillment in every single day. And yeah, I was scared shitless mm -hmm. a lot of the time because I was so afraid of making mistakes and I didn't want to lose this Olympic opportunity. But I also found this fire inside of me that I wanted to go after it, mm -hmm. you know? I didn't shy away from it. And I feel like a completely different person now in my life at 39 than I was when I was 17. And a different, different in the way that I can't believe I was so young and I was so fierce. Like I wasn't afraid. Why is that you think? Is that how you're, is that how you're brought up? Is that just like, what is it that can, that you can say that? It's almost as if I was walking in the exact path that I was meant to be walking in mm. at that time. And I just felt that hmm. like the, it, everything just felt so right, you know, yeah. which is just so like people chase that mm -hmm. their whole lives to get mm -hmm. to that point, you know, whether it's a career or like, yeah. whatever it is, they're looking yeah. for that moment to find it at 17 yeah. is. Like, <laughs> and I think that's what makes transitioning away from sports so hard is that you, you have actually experienced what it feels like in your life to mm -hmm. feel a hundred percent sense mm -hmm. of purpose and mm -hmm. fulfillment and satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And like waking up in the morning, having this big goal. Yeah there's a, there's a momentum in that. Mm -hmm. And so you, that's hard to find in life outside of sport. Totally. Mm -hmm. So then what happens like <laughs> when you, when you're chasing that feeling, you know, mm -hmm. it's that high, you know, it's that sense of, you know, I'm doing the exact thing I'm made to do mm -hmm. when that's, when you try and put that against business or relationships or whatever, mm -hmm. it's, it's a, I'm guessing it's a tricky dance. Yeah, it is a tricky dance. My friend, Marnie McBean, who's a great Canadian Olympic yeah. rower, mm -hmm. she, told me when I retired and I was really having a hard time, she said, Kyle, you, you can't chase that same feeling. Mm. There's a different feeling of satisfaction and fulfillment, and it's not going to be found in sport, but it can be found in other places, in impacting your community and building a business in, you know, trying to make other people's lives better. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think that's where for me now, that's where I do get the satisfaction and fulfillment is yeah. being a really contributing member to my community. Um, but there's, the sport pursuit is a very selfish pursuit. It's very selfish. It's like literally everyone does everything for you. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got all these people that mm -hmm. are trying to help you be at your best. Yep. Um, which isn't sustainable for life. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. not what real life is, yep. but it's a pretty cool thing to like be standing there and um, just feeling. Yeah. So, yeah, purposeful is the only word I can really use. Yeah. When you, when you retired, was it... Did it take some time to adjust? Was it like, yeah. you, well, how, like how old were you retired? Yeah, you so young, I was, obviously. I was young, yeah. So I was, I was 26 when I competed at my last Olympics in Which Beijing. Was, okay, yeah. And then right after those games, I came back to Calgary and I knew I was done. I knew I was done. It took me till May to kind of like make it, make it formal, yeah. make what, it official. How do you, yeah. what was the trigger that when you say, like I, you knew you were done, what was it? I didn't have any more goals. No way. Yeah. I had reached, I had done everything I wanted to do. The one thing I didn't achieve, I didn't become a world champion. Mm -hmm. And I tried to use that as motivation, mm -hmm. but it just, it was like the fire kept going out. Yep. I didn't want to put chalk on my hands. I didn't want to be at the gym. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to run down the vault runway. I didn't want to swing around the high bar. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to tumble and feel the pounding of the landing anymore. Yep. I didn't want to wake up and make, that and I didn't know what the next thing was mm -hmm. but I just knew and every athlete that I've talked to who's retired on their own terms some athletes get injured and then they have to retire yep. and that's very difficult but every athlete who has retired on their own terms always says like when you know you just you just know mm -hmm. and it's very hard to describe the feeling but it's like there's an emptiness yep. there's a void mm -hmm. but you're ready for the next thing which is but you don't good. know what it is yeah. so it's, <laughs> yeah. it feels good to know that you've the decision you, you're about to make is the right one, mm -hmm. but then looking for the next thing is yeah. intimidating, frightening, yeah. whatever yeah. word you want to use. Yeah. I call it the free fall. <laughs> you're in the free fall. You're like, Wah! you've let go of the one trapeze and you want to grab the next one so desperately. And so many times I'm, I was like, okay, I'm going to go back to gymnastics. And then no way. Oh yeah. Like, you know, you retire and then six months later, you're thinking no, like, like every week, pretty no much way. I'm like, oh, maybe I should go back and train. But then I'm like, no, 
that's just me. Mm-hmm. That's the comfortable thing. Yep. Like I'm uncomfortable right now, and that's a familiar thing. And you miss your teammates, and mm-hmm. you miss going to the gym, and you yep. miss your coach, and you miss having the goal and the drive, and mm-hmm. you miss feeling that sense of purpose, and you miss getting massages and having everyone around you doing everything for you because mm-hmm. that feels good. Yeah. But you have to go through that tumultuous period. Mm-hmm. You have to you have to go through it. Some athletes transition really quickly. They've yep. got their next thing. Yep. For me, it took. It was a good. It was a five-year period no where way. I tried on a lot of things no way. and a lot of things didn't fit. Mm. And then I finally decided to open a gym and then that's what felt right. Were you yeah. doing, after retirement, did you do media for a bit? Yeah, yeah. So I was doing commentary yep. and I was doing event hosting and mm-hmm. I was doing like co-hosting of TV shows and I was... Um, you were, you were, you, you, I was doing a lot of yeah, stuff. Yeah, you were still in the scene. I was still in the scene, yep. most definitely. Yeah, I started gymnastics. I've... I've festival at the University of Calgary in partnership with that gym and yeah there was lots of things that I was doing Mm -hmm. did my sort of my real estate license I did my life coach training I did my yoga teacher training like I was trying to do all these things Mm -hmm. and none of them just felt right you know were you you just um going after different ideas you had Mm -hmm. the real estate that like yeah you're looking at people maybe doing you're like "Eh, maybe I'm interested in that Mm -hmm. I'll take a swing at it yeah did you know right away it wasn't um, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. You try yeah. it on and you're yeah. like, you know, I'm kind of going to go through the motions here. Mm-hmm. I went back to school as well to Mount Royal University and I studied broadcasting. Like I learned to use camera and how to run cable and okay. to do all the stuff. And I also studied business with a focus in entrepreneurship. So no that's when for me, I realized that being an entrepreneur was like, that was for me because mm-hmm. I love being in charge. I love being responsible for my own destiny. Mm-hmm. I a corporate environment wasn't right for me. I went and did some interviews and um, I went and um, I sat with like a recruiter and I was like, okay, so tell me about your work experience. And I'm like, oh God, this feels so wrong. This feels so wrong. And I wanted it so badly to feel right, but it didn't. And just because um, that's the normal path for people? Security, stability, you know, salary, pension, benefits, Mm -hmm. all that stuff that I didn't have in my life. Mm -hmm. And it was really hard. Like I love the gigs. I love speaking. I love doing the TV. I love doing all that stuff, but it's hard in between when you're just waiting for the next thing. And my hustle game, like I just, I'm not good at self-promotion. I don't like it. It feels dirty to me. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I didn't, it didn't just didn't feel right sitting in those periods in between, like having nothing and then something and then yeah. nothing and something. I yeah. wanted something that felt like was an everyday, mm-hmm. a constant, because I had that in sport. Like the routine of right your week schedule, your your year schedule, like everything's just yes. scheduled out, and you Mapped just have to out. show up and work. Here's what's happening for the year. Mm-hmm. Let's get her done, mm-hmm. right? And I didn't have that, and I was trying to find that. But uh, it was after that meeting with a recruiter where I just I felt like. Well, like, so it just didn't feel right. Could you articulate that, that to somebody? You know, when, when, mm-hmm. you know when, when your friends are watching, you kind of figure this out and kind of go through the motions. Mm-hmm. Could you actually say, like, it just doesn't feel, did you know why, why it wasn't fitting? Or was it- well, the, the funny thing is, is that you pretend everything's okay to everybody mm-hmm. else around you. And you do that because you, well, my job was to be the happy, smiley guy who was the motivator, right? Mm-hmm. So I couldn't tell people that I was sad I couldn't tell people that I wasn't feeling fulfilled I couldn't tell people that I didn't feel a sense of purpose so I had to sit in a lot of that by myself Mm -hmm. which was really really depressing and really hard yeah and I was at a very low point certainly there was a few friends that I would talk to about it but no one has that solution like no one everyone everyone can tell you what you can do but it's it never feels right unless it comes from within yourself yeah which takes a lot of energy to find that that thing right and, and I to think make you have that to go, commitment. Yeah. 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 That was the scary part. You know, I always wanted to open a gym and it was all my list of things. Always? After, Well, after the 2004 Olympics, my agent at the time, they said, okay, write down everything that you can imagine right now that we could do, you know. Was like, it 04 your last one? Uh, 08 okay. was my last Olympics. So, oh, which? So it was after the 2004 Olympics. So um, you did, you were in the Olympics for? Three. Three. Yeah. 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 98. Two, 2000, 2000, 2004, 2008. Okay. Yeah. And then after that, now I've done um, commentary at the 2008 Olympics after I was done competing and then the 2012, 16, and 20. So I've done more Olympics <laughs> as a broadcaster now. So officially the scales have tipped. <laughs> so 04. Yeah. Your yeah. After like... 04, they're, they're like, just write down everything. So I was like, write a book. 
uh, open a gymnastics center. Like I kind of looked to all my mentors around the world that who had won gold medals, like what did they do? Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of them opened their own gyms. A lot of them got into media. A lot of them wrote books. A lot yep. of them, so I just started writing down all these ideas. Yep. Um, I wanted my own gymnastics meet, like that kind of stuff. And so I kept circling back to the opening a gym, but it's a big responsibility, oh, right? It's a huge undertaking. I didn't know how to do that. But I think I got the confidence when I went back to school and studied business and focused in on that entrepreneurship. Is that why you went to that program specifically? Because the gym thing was lurking? I think so. Yeah. Like, yeah. Subconsciously. Yeah. Right? When, when like, you can look back now, you, yes, like, right? you can connect some dots. But I learned in that, that it wasn't just gymnastics that I could be good at. And I think that was my fear mm-hmm. was that I was really good at gymnastics, mm-hmm. but I didn't trust myself that I was good at anything else outside of it. You know, I felt like a fraud in, in so many ways. Like, and you know, now that where you are right now, mm-hmm. you can look at all the lessons you had while you're an athlete mm-hmm. and a lot of them map right to a business mm-hmm. like dedication routine yeah. team all of it right? Yep. right but i guess when you're when you're not quite sure like mm-hmm. when you can't make those connections it can feel yeah. daunting and i have a lot of self-doubt you know i think that a lot of people that are perfectionists or yep. people that aspire to like yep. try to achieve really high level things have a lot of doubt is that you perfectionist mm-hmm. with self-doubt like is there yeah yeah that's kind of like the intersection but it, is that um, our most? Our I have no idea. This is this is like way out, way way above my pay grade. But people that gold medalists, high end athletes, is that a common thread? Being perfectionist with like a underlying. Yes, and I think that that's what drives you. Is you use fear of not being good as your motivation. Mm. You know, like every day you kind of wake up and it's not I want to be great. It's like. I don't want to be bad. Like I got to be good. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And I think it can be used for good things, but perfectionism is just, it's a dead end. Yeah. Like I realized that very young in grade, like seven, grade eight. Yeah. I try to reshape it to excellence. Like I want to be excellent at the things I do. I don't want to be mediocre. I don't want to just like open mm-hmm. a gym. I want to open the best gym. I want to open the cleaners gym. I want yeah. to have my staff be the most engaged. Like that is driven within me. Which is yeah. so different, like that excellence to perfection, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that slight change right? makes all the difference, like that yeah. makes a lot of sense. Right, but there's a fine line, mm-hmm. like, and, and, and sometimes you can spend 99% of your time trying to get that last 1% that yep. actually isn't worth it. Yep. So that's where I have to catch myself. And that's where meditation and like doing journaling and stuff really helps me manage my perfectionist mm-hmm. inside because it's always there, yep. but I have to catch myself when I'm on that train, mm-hmm. it's the loop. Yep. It's the loop that I do. It's like, I got to get this. I got to do that. And it's like, whoa, you, you know, right? why am I doing this? This yeah. is not worth it. Good enough is good enough. Sometimes mm-hmm. you got to just wrap that up, put a little bow on it yeah. and walk away. It's, but I got to catch myself in those moments because I can be a bit obsessive, mm-hmm. right? But I think that is from all of my friends that have won Olympic gold medals, mm-hmm. they have a bit of obsession mm-hmm. within them. Yep. And, and you put the blinders on and it's like you, you really peel back the layers and you're meticulous in your preparation. What's the, it's really interesting, blinders. Um, when you, somebody can have all the, you know, the, the, the drive, that perfectionist drive to go after something. If that's not matched with actually a talent to achieve something, mm-hmm. it seems like, you know, everyone can want to get somewhere, right? They can, like, they can train and then be, they want to, they want to get to this level. But if you're, if you just don't have the DNA or the athleticism to actually do it, mm-hmm. you know, like, how does that, how does that all wash out? Like, you know, the cliche thing of, mm-hmm. you know, 0.001% of hockey players make the NHL, mm-hmm. whatever the percentage is, is super low mm-hmm. in your sport. I have no idea what it is to actually win a gold medal. I'm super, I'm guessing it's very, very, very small. Mm-hmm. That, you know, like the self-awareness to know that you do have the DNA, you do have the gift, you do have the talent to get it, plus the perfectionist drive creates a gold medalist. It's just... There's so many elements to the formula, right? And 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 luck is a big part of it too. Mm-hmm. Like I was very lucky that I started at the Altador Club with Kelly Manjack as my coach because he protected me and he let me be a part of the conversation. He let me be ind- independent, like... I wouldn't have survived with so many other coaches because they would have seen my talent and they would have abused that. Like they would have made me do the full twisting double backs when I was nine because I could do it. But Kelly was like, yeah, you can do that into the foam pit. 
and I'm not letting you do that in, in the competition because you're going to do the simple full twist and you're going to do it really nice because mm. we can still get the result with yep. that. Yep. So he protected me and nurtured me along the way. So there's all of those life, like there's no formula. Like I always think of musicians. How can someone that is so talented at singing not make it compared to someone who isn't as talented? Mm. Well, it's because that person just had the right connections, the right place at the right time. And that is life, mm -hmm. you know, and you want to set yourself up like that. That intersection is like success is when opportunity meets luck in yep. a way, right? Yep. Like you're and preparation. And I think that to me was why I was able to achieve success with my perfectionism. And because I put in the work, I didn't just rely on my talent mm -hmm. to a certain point I did it gets you to a certain point to a certain point but I was also the kid when we would track our work and my coach would make us make a tick in a book every skill that we did that was of value so in gymnastics like a handstand's not a value skill yep. but like a press to handstand is or so we would measure how many actual skills we were doing and I would lap my teammates I would be doing double the amount of work and I'd sometimes well and I'm not proud of this but I'd like kind of jump in front of them to take another turn because that's, if you give me a task, yep. I am going to go after it. Mm -hmm. That is what I do. If you put me on a Peloton bike, I like, the instructor says, go 60. I'm like, 80. <laughs> like, it's just, that's my DNA. That's my brain. <laughs> but with that being said, there's two things that really pop in my mind. Number one, I try not to ever tell kids that you can be anything because you can't. Right. I can't be an NBA basketball player. I don't have the desire. I don't have the talent. I don't have the skill. Mm -hmm. I might say, oh, I want to, but I can't yep. because I don't want it bad enough and I don't have the build. Mm -hmm. So I never tell kids that they can be anything that they want. Yep. I think that's setting them up for disaster. But I say, if you want something and you have a talent for it and you work really, really hard mm -hmm. and you dedicate yourself to that goal and you make that your priority, yep and you're professional about it, then you have a greater chance of achieving chance. success, yeah. right? And the second thing is, is that I think in our society, we place so much value on winning, but like winning an Olympic gold medal doesn't make you a good person. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, you know, it's a moment. It's a moment. It's about finding joy in doing the things that you do. And I realize that so much more now that I'm done with gymnastics is I still like to do it, but I can't do the things that I did. I have no <laughs> desire to go to the Olympics and win. But does that mean that I shouldn't do it? No. I still do gymnastics for fun because mm. it's fun and yeah. I get joy from it. And I, I think of myself as an 80-year-old man a lot these days, reaching that half-life. <laughs> when I'm 80, like I want to find so much joy in the things that I do. And I don't want to look back and say, I didn't try things and I didn't have fun when I was doing them mm -hmm. because I was afraid to do them. Mm -hmm. Like I do, I run races, I have, I've done triathlons, I've done things like that. And like, I don't need to win those things. Mm -hmm. I do it because I like the training. I yeah. do it because I liked, I like the purpose. I do it because I like having a routine and something to work towards. Mm -hmm. I don't have to win the race, but that doesn't mean I'm a shitty person if I don't win it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Only one person gets to win. That doesn't make them the best. It makes them the best at that thing. Totally. Yeah. It, it's it's so interesting hearing you talk about these things because um, just even like, I, like before I got on camera and I was talking to Katrina, just mm. it's, it's just the Olympic athletes and what you guys achieve and just mm. you say that the exact same word. It's just a moment. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting to hear, which it makes a lot of sense because that's what it is. That's what it is. Yeah. And that moment is fleeting. Mm -hmm. The most important thing is what do you do with that moment? Yeah. Right. How yeah. do you give back to your community? Mm -hmm. How do you make an impact in other people's lives? There's some Olympic athletes who win gold medals and think that the world owes them something. Yeah. I don't want to be that person. Mm -hmm. which, I don't want to. I want to. I want to give to the world. Yeah. Right. Totally. Yeah. So, sorry, I like dragged you away from that moment no, when you're okay. at Mount Royal. So yeah. you're taking the entrepreneurial class, mm. the business things, and all of a sudden some lights are coming on. You're like, I can, I can put them things together here. Yeah. Well, it was a really interesting experience because we had to. It was the one class that really stands out. It's called the entrepreneurial experience, and we went and we had to form teams. So we had to do all these activities, yep. and we would start watching our teammates as if you're on Survivor trying to pick in your trying to pick your teams. Yep. How do people interact with mm -hmm. each other? Who's got the ideas? Mm -hmm. How are people stepping up mm -hmm. to this moment? And then you start forming your teams. And then you have like all these entrepreneurial challenges you have to overcome. Well, one of them, we had a week and it was called Innovation Week. And every team, there's, I think, 
eight classes and a bunch of teams within the class. So there was like probably 40, 40 groups. Yep. And we all got a bag and in the bag was an item. And with that item, we had to create value. And we got a bar of soap, a bar of ivory soap to be specific. And so my team, we opened the bag and everyone opens their bag and it's like, a bar of soap. Okay, how can we create value? So we iterated over a 24-hour period. We were like, okay, we're not going to come up with our idea. We're going to take 24 hours to just explore a bunch of ideas. Mm-hmm. Well, eventually, my one of my teammates, her name is Kylie. She's so smart. She's like found a video on the internet that if you take ivory soap and you put it in the microwave, it starts to expand. And we're like, what if we make like expanding soap? Oh, what if we make it into like cupcakes? What if we make soap cupcakes and then we sell them and we do a fundraiser? So we made a thousand soap cupcakes. We put them in mugs. We took like a cupcake piece of so paper, <laughs> took a little piece of the soap, put it in the microwave, microwaved it. It grows and expands. We put like talcum powder and like baby powder and dyed things and put sprinkles and sparkles and all these things. And we made, and we called them sud cakes and we sold them. And I phoned my friend at the farmer's market who was the president at the time. And I said, do you have a space for us this weekend? We're doing a fundraiser. Can we like, can you grant us a space? He got us an awesome spot. We sold them for five bucks. We raised $1,500. Wash your hands for wishes for Make, Make-A-Wish Foundation. And it was during that time I realized, you know what? I can apply myself to anything. Mm. Like this isn't just ingrained in me in sport. This is in life outside of sport. Mm -hmm. Like I like to work hard. I can build on ideas. I like to apply myself to things. I can be a work with a team. I can sell things. Like it just all the pieces kind of sort of Mm -hmm. came together and my confidence grew. Yep. Because for a while I was like, I'm nothing but a gymnast. Like literally you're looking at your resume, you're like... I'm a gymnast. I'm a gymnast. Like there's no like, you know, everyone else is kind of building a resume with work experience and doing whatever. Right. I'm 26 years old. Yes, I've gone to three Olympics and I've won an Olympic gold medal and I've done lots of speaking and stuff, but mm-hmm. I I don't have a trust in myself that I can apply myself outside of sport. Mm. So yeah, that was kind that of a, cat- a, that was a catalyst. It was like, boom, I can do this. And, and then, then, and then I went and covered the 2012 Olympic games in London and I got back and I was trying to avoid gymnastics. You know, I was trying to like do other things with the life coaching and with the yoga teacher training and with the real estate and like just all the stuff I was trying to- Far ways you can get. Right, I'm like, man, let's become a stripper. I don't know. (laughs) But then after covering the Olympics and the passion I had for it and I got back, I was like, you know what? I love gymnastics. Like this is why, why am I trying to be something else? Like don't fight it, just embrace it. And let's get back to the community. And I want to be, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to be in charge. I want to be the one designing this idea and I want to be responsible for it. So like, let's do it. So i made the decision that I was going to open a gym and I made one call to a friend. Her name's Crystal. And she was a program director at the Outsider Gymnastics Club when I was there. And I said, Hey, Crystal, I know you have little kids. I want to open a gym. Do you want to be involved? And she's like, yep, hell yeah. I said, great. And then I dove off the diving board. And that's what I always say is so many entrepreneurs stand on the edge Mm -hmm. and you bounce Mm -hmm. in your Speedo and you're looking down at the lapping water and you're thinking about how cold it might be or how much it might hurt if you hit it wrong. Mm -hmm. But at a certain point, you just have to dive off the fucking diving board and you just do it and you just commit and whatever. You figure out how to swim, Mm -hmm. but you got to trust that you're going to know that you'll be able to figure it out. Yeah. And that trust piece, it, it took you a while to get to that trust piece. Mm-hmm. Like how, the minute you got back from the, those games, you're like, okay, we're back. Or is it quick? Were you quick to like jump? Yeah. It was like, like land. And then basically I got back to Calgary and there was a couple weeks in there where I had to decompress. Yep. I did a little traveling actually after we went to Turkey and to Greece cool. and then got back and then I had really nothing on my calendar and I was kind of twiddling my thumbs and I'm like, all right, so what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Here I am again, another Olympics, another post-Olympic depression. What's going on? And then that's when I went and had a meeting with a recruiter thinking maybe I need to do a corporate gig. Mm -hmm. And after that meeting, I just was like, no, that was not, this is not for me. And then I walked through the door and I said to Kristen, I said, I'm, I'm opening a gym. It's happening. She's like, okay. And so then, you know, you take that period of time and you start to resonate and it starts to build and you iterate and you get ideas and you start to see things. Yep. It's like when you buy, you know, yellow punch buggy, all of a sudden, all you see is yellow punch buggies, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I started to see all the things everywhere. They were just 
coming at me and yep. the ideas and then the space became available like I looked at tons of spaces and then finally this one we were in South Africa and it came up in my email and I was, I was like <gasps> that's it that's the address and I started repeating the address in my mind and the postal code thinking of like mm-hmm. Kyle Schufeld Gymnastics mm-hmm. 104 3442 right? yes you, you, just, could like, you could picture right? it all so I emailed my 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 broker um, for commercial real estate and I said like I want to see the space. I'm in South Africa. Can you please set up an appointment for the day after I land? What was it? What was the space before you got it? It was NMAX. It was a big industrial okay. warehouse yep. stacked to the, yeah, yeah. to the roof with, um, with electrical supplies. Mm-hmm. And I just knew the location was exactly where I wanted to be. The space was 11,389 square feet. That was exactly... That's we, like a functional gym square Yeah, footage. I wanted something between ten and 12,000 square feet. I wanted frontage to Deerfoot or like a major roadway. I wanted to be accessible to the south communities. Like it just, all the pieces started to fall into mm-hmm. place. And we walked into the space and instantly I was like, yep. And Kristen by trade is an interior designer and her and her sister came to that first meeting with me and I was like, what do you guys think? And they're like, yeah, we can turn this into a space. We should put bathrooms here. We should put a kitchen here. We should put our front desk here and just... It's, it's like when you walk in that house, you go yep. and see 20 of them, yeah, yeah. and you finally walk yep. in the one, and you're like, yep, this I can live it. here. Yeah. Hmm. And that was in, when did you, is that 2012 the deal is done? or is 20- That was 2013 okay. in March that we found the space, and yep. then we took over the space in August, and we started renovations, and then we opened on October the 28th, 2013. No way. Yeah. So it's been a run. It's been a run. And, and over all these you know, it's a lot of years. And truthfully, I didn't know you're, I drove Deerfoot mm-hmm. well, for the last seven years going water skiing. So I drive Deerfoot to go down like just by Okotoks. And so, yeah. and all of a sudden I just looked and I saw your name up there. Gymnastics, blue and red. I right? Was like, oh, yeah. This is big. Well, we, um, when we first opened, we were on a very shoestring budget. Like I got some financing and investors and stuff, but you can't spend a lot of money when yep. you're starting up. Yep. And so I got a little sign. And then when the gym started to achieve some success, I was like, I'm investing like $10,000 into a giant sign that mm-hmm. says gymnastics. So when people are driving down, mm-hmm. you can't miss it. Yep. Yeah. I, yeah. I can't yeah. miss it. Yeah. How did you, this is, as soon as you said that, how did you, how did you start building the business? Obviously your name had a lot of weight in the community. Mm-hmm. You know, when you turn the lights on and say, I'm doing a gym, do people mm-hmm. just come find you or did you have to hustle and kind of figure some things out? Yeah, we had to do some hustling for sure. Um, I have a friend, his name's Chris Dornan, and he does a lot of PR um, for athletes and different okay. sports associations. And so Chris, I reached out to him and he said, hey, I'm opening a gym. Can we work together and can you help? So the day I got the keys for the facility, we had media come and um, I had a bunch of kids, a bunch of my friend's kids and my nephew and my cousin and like some <laughs> just little people, just hey? some kids. <laughs> Warm and so we were in, the in this, yeah, we were in this empty warehouse <laughs> and the media came and it was like, this is going to become Kyle Schufeld Gymnastics. And so, yeah, we had to work hard. Like I was, I wasn't sleeping. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I think every entrepreneur who's in startup will mm-hmm. say they barely sleep. Mm-hmm. I slept uh, with a notepad beside my bed because I would wake up constantly yeah, with, ideas. with ideas. My friend Lori, who God rest her soul, she's passed since, but she bought me this um, thing called Aqua Notes. So in the shower, it's waterproof paper and a waterproof pencil and suction cups. No so in the shower, when I was washing my hair, it was always That's the time that idea. I would get the best ideas. And so then I had these Aqua Notes and I'd be writing notes and just dreaming I was always dreaming and thinking of ways that we can make it better and mm-hmm. my creative mind was so so high and um yeah just I loved I loved that time of startup and it was so I was always feeling a step behind the eight ball there's always something mm-hmm. more to do mm-hmm. but I was so motivated and driven and it's amazing how your community shows up you know on that day that we opened uh well the day a week before when the equipment got delivered we had two trucks show up and all of a sudden, like, my parents were there and my Kristen's par- Chris's parents and then my aunts and uncles and then friends and people who used to coach at other gyms and then my realtor. And, like, all these people were just showing up to help build equipment. And it was I, – I wanted so much control because mm-hmm. I'm a very controlling person. Like, in terms of – I have a vision and it needs to be a certain way. Yep. But at a certain point, I just had to look around. I'm like, okay, all these people, Let them they are doing it. They're doing it. <laughs> like, I'm just going to go around and thank them because it's getting done. Yeah. Right? The, the, 
Would you would you say the no sleep in the ideas thing? I, mm-hmm. I've been feeling that. Like I'm okay. like two years into my thing, and, and I just, you know, I find when I'm riding my bike mm. in the mornings, so I'm cruising around the reservoir, just you know, going out for a big ride. I just like my mind just rolls, mm-hmm. and the aqua notes thing is very interesting. Yeah. Yo, know, is there anything when you're exercising or training? Is there anything you use to kind of capture your thoughts? Um, Do you have like a mic in your fo- on your watch that you can talk yeah, to or something? Well, yeah, so bef- back in 2011, 2012, when I was getting prepared for the Olympics, I was thinking of it all the time yep. um, for my commentary. So I actually ran with like a voice recorder. No way. And so I'd be just, and then I'd just talk. And I was training for a marathon, so I would do like four-hour oh, you were, you were running, running. Like four-hour long runs. I'm like, <laughs> blah, 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 talking to myself on this recorder. But yeah, I use voice notes now a lot. Mm-hmm. Or I'll talk to Siri. I'm like, hey, Siri, like capture this. Um but yeah, for me, I have to extract it from my brain because I literally it, lose it in yeah, a second. Yeah, totally. So Why right there. What, what, like, is it because your mind's rolling and they're just so on to the next fast, thing? So fast. Yes. This is where meditation comes in, right? Like to be present in that moment and mm-hmm. realize that your thoughts, you, you, you have control of your thoughts. Yep. But yeah, when you're in the entrepreneurial startup phase and you're building and you're yep. dreaming and you're, I think that you're just in that creative space yep. where things are just popping. It's yep. fireworks inside yep. of your mind. And so you, yeah, I think the most important thing is to capture it. And actually mm-hmm. you look back, I've, I've kept a lot of my notes and I look back and I'm like, that was a dumb idea. <laughs> but like, you just got to write it, totally. right? Because it's the iteration. You know, the best idea never starts at first. You never have the best idea right mm-hmm. away. The best idea comes after you write out that first idea and then you go and then you put it into action and you realize, oh, that's not going to work. And then you shift and yeah. you change. And I think that to me is where I love being an entrepreneur is in that, that place of, I know, I know I'm going to get there mm-hmm. and I know I have the ability to figure it out. And I'm learning that more and more to trust myself that. That's the exact same, mm-hmm. you know, you might use different words, but that same energy, that's how you looked at your athletic career. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's very similar, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. I'll give you an example. This summer, we've transitioned at my facility over to a new online registration system because we changed our programming model from sessions, seasonal, to monthly. So it's just continuous monthly once you're in. Yep. And there's a lot of changes. And I said to my team, we were trying to go through the list and we were whiteboarding it out. And I said, okay, there's about 100 things that we are missing in this moment and we don't know what those are. But I want us to trust in ourselves that when they come up, that we're a team and we're going to figure it out. Yep. And we are facing that. And instead of getting stressed about it, we just figure it out. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's I think, something I'm pretty proud of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I, I didn't trust that 10 years ago. Which, which it's got to feel good now, right now. Mm-hmm. Like th- this phase you're in right now. So, mm-hmm. you know, that, the, that creative energy it takes to get this business off the ground mm-hmm. is, is, you know, I'm feeling it now, right? It's... Yeah. It's fun to be, to be in that space. Now you're into this. You're like way into it. Mm-hmm. Where, where's your, what gets you going now? Is it still creativity because you're still growing and expanding and changing and moving? Mm-hmm. Or is there something else that's driving you? I've realized that my brain has only enough capacity for either like administration, getting things done, or creativity. I can't do both mm-hmm. <laughs> at the same time. Mm-hmm. And my creative juices don't flow when I have a long list of things that actually are tangible, have to get done. So what gets me going is getting to the place where I have a very short list of things to get done, where I can start dreaming and building. What I love about my business is creating the culture and creating the brand and bringing people together and um, doing like the quality control. Mm -hmm. I love going through and vetting and looking at how we can be better. I think that is one of my strength sets as a business owner is always peeling back the layers and saying there's something more we could be doing or there's something less that we could be doing that would make us better. Um, I really want to think of my business in every aspect that it could be turnkey. So anyone could come in. Like if I always use the if I got hit by a bus Mm -hmm. analogy, Mm -hmm. but I want my business to be built to the place where anyone could come in and take what I do and what my office manager does and my program director and a team lead and a coach Mm -hmm. and an administrator and they could peel that back and they could do it based on what the system we've created. I'm a very system-minded person Mm. and I'm a very customer experience-centric person. Did you know that? 
Did you I do didn't. all these things? I didn't know. You just so you figured out you figured the first out. day we opened. I didn't know how to use a Moneris machine. I, someone was like, "I'd like to buy something." I'm like, "Okay, I don't know how to use this thing." So I had to ask my office manager. She's like, "What? You don't know?" How to? I'm like, "No, I don't know how to use it. I've never worked anywhere. What? Right? Like I didn't work at Starbucks. I'm sorry. I should have. I hire people who work at Starbucks in a heartbeat. Just because they um, they're training the brand customer service." Brand, customer service, they know how to deal with people. Yep. They know how to manage multiple things at the same time. Yep. Every single person I've hired that's worked at Starbucks is a person that excels. Hmm. It's, yeah. So their training program is dialed in. It's dialed in, 100%. Hmm. But yeah, I, I did not know, I did not know in myself that I was a customer experience person. Like, mm -hmm. uh, I, I think this is so weird, but when I go to restaurants, <laughs> I hold the utensils. Yep. When I went to restaurants before the pandemic, <laughs> getting back into it now, but <laughs> I hold the fork and I'm like, I feel the weight of it. And I'm like, Ooh, like this is a little light or mm -hmm. this is a little mm -hmm. heavy. Like I think that that in mm -hmm. my future could yeah. be a role is like holding the cups and holding the things mm -hmm. and looking at the place settings mm -hmm. and like, what does the vibe feel? What's the sight? What's the sound? What's the smell? What's mm -hmm. the lighting? Like, I love that, that stuff. presence, mm -hmm. like what you feel in that moment. What does that, it, what does that experience make a person feel? Which yeah. is, you know, it's so it's, mm -hmm. you can see you come alive because that's, right? that could be a thing, but it, it maps back to exactly the way, the way I started this whole thing. Like, how do you remember that exact moment? Mm -hmm. You're just, you're taking the same thing that you did years right. ago and now just applying it. You yeah. know, you can see it in a, you know, a how music way. can sometimes like you hear a song oh God. and it brings you back. Oh. Yeah, of course you do. Right. <laughs> right. That, that one I definitely right. understand. Yeah. But that can literally bring your senses back to a moment. Mm -hmm. And I love that. How um, the brand and the culture around your gym, obviously there's um, things in the news that have been flying around in your sport. I'm guessing the team you've built, you kind of set the foundation with how this place is going to operate and what it feels like. Yeah. And one of the things that I've realized through my eight years of owning this business is that I can, I can kind of create the vision for what the culture is, yep. but I actually, I don't get to decide it. Yep. Because you can't force people. You can't force culture. Culture has to grow. Mm -hmm. And so one thing I do every year with my team is we have a team meeting and I ask them what they want to be. Who do we want to be as a team? How do we want to hold each other accountable? What experience do we want to give our customers? What made you go that way? Well, for not, for not working anywhere. Right. You know what I mean? Like to have that kind of thought process. To I read a lot of books and I have a lot of great mentors. Mm. But also I realize that I am such a controlling person that... Our meetings were me telling people what to do and what not to do. Mm. And I realized that wasn't resonating mm -hmm. and that people were tuning out yep. and that that created resentment and that I was, people were afraid of making mistakes right. because they were afraid of me being mad because I, they didn't live up to what I told them they had to do. Yep. So yeah, through just talking to some of my mentors, mm -hmm. I do a lot of walks and talks with people that I really love and respect, mm. um, people that have achieve great things in business and in sport and whatever. And I literally go for a walk and talk. I don't go for coffees. I go for walks. Dude, I'm glad you said yeah. that. I don't drink coffee and everyone wants right? to go for a coffee. Yeah. I'm like, no, okay, we I'm can just, pick up a coffee I, and then we're going to walk around the I'm neighborhood. Gonna, do you, right? uh, I'm going to steal that idea. Yeah. One walk and talk. And number mm -hmm. two, do you record those conversations? I don't, but I always remember them much more than I would just sitting and having a coffee. Cause I remember the houses that we walked past and the dog and the person and the, like, I'm yeah. Wow. I'm really like, I'm, the experience to me is how moments stick. Mm. And so the walks and talks. Dude, like, that's brilliant. Yeah, that's really good. It's super valuable. And then you also get your exercise in. And like a body in motion is like a body that is healthy, right? So. Man. <laughs> you thought so. Um, but w through some of those mentor conversations that I've had, like, you have to give ownership to your team mm -hmm. in order for them to be great. You yeah. can't tell someone to be great. They won't. And it goes back to my gymnastics career. If my coach told me to be great, I would be pissed off at him and resent him. I'd yeah. be like, no, I don't want to do that because yeah. you're telling me. It's like that parent-teenager mm -hmm. relationship. Mm -hmm. But when my coach would say, how great do you want to be? I would tell him, and how can I help you get there? And I'd tell him what I'd need. Mm -hmm. And then that let me take ownership of it. So I say the same thing to my team. And a big thing is the accountability. You know, we want to all be engaged in the warm-up. If someone isn't, what do we say to them so it's not awkward? Yep. Right? And every year it changes. One year the keyword was bananas. If mm -hmm. someone's not doing the work, you're like, hey, dude, you're being bananas. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, uh -huh. and then mm -hmm. it's funny and then they get to work. Because yep. it's always awkward to go and talk to yep. a teammate and say, hey, why are you sitting? Like you're not pulling your weight. That's awkward. 
So, but we, we try to work that through um, and figure it out. And every year changes because every year we have new staff and mm-hmm. different energy. Yeah, exactly. Did, are you still coaching? Are you actually on the floor and do your thing? So I don't coach. Uh, I coach one group yep. Monday nights. Mm-hmm. I coach my adult gymnastics group. Okay. Yeah. So I do adult uh, gymnastics and conditioning and I actually partake in the class awesome. with them. So it's very, very fun. That's cool. And then um, I don't coach a specific kids group. Yep. I float around okay. and I try to be there at least once every evening and every weekend yep. throughout like every kind of quarter. Um, cause I, I've got a lot of other things going on as well, but is it important to do that? So you have a sense of the, the vibe in your facility. Yes. Just so you have a finger on the pulse and you kind of know what's going on. Yeah. And I'm sure when you're in your facility, there's a different vibe to it. Well, like I there's hope. a reason your name's on the <laughs> giant on the building. And when you walk in that, right. in that space, I've, I've, I just, well, I'm one ki- of my goals, Jeff, as, as a business owner is to make my business run without me yep. there yep. and that it would run with the same quality and that everyone would live up to the same expectation that they have for each other and themselves without mm-hmm. me being there to be the watchdog. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I, I think maybe things shift a little I bit. I feel like, you know, you, you wheel into a gym. I feel mm-hmm. like there's a different tone that happens. Like I, maybe. Yeah. I, 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 I think that the energy maybe rises yeah, a bit totally, more, totally. but I always tell my team, like, we are the yep. we are the energy. Like yep. it, we set the standard. We set the example. If our energy is low, then mm-hmm. the rest of totally. the kids flat. are, are going to be flat. Mm-hmm. So we have to bring it, no matter what happened in our mm-hmm. day. And that's one of the big things that we talk about is a, kind of our brand and our motto. And it's not written anywhere, but it's like we want to be the best part of the day for the kid, for the parent, and for the coach. So a lot of my staff, they have other jobs, you know, they're working in the energy industry or they're teachers or mm-hmm. they are students or whatever it is. But no matter what happened in the day, I want them to come to the gym, let it go and make this the best part of their day. If they do that, it's going to be the best part of the kid's day. Yeah. If it's the best part of the kid's day, it's going to be the best part of the parent's day. So cool, man. It's, it's such a long-term vision, you know, mm-hmm. it's just instead of just looking at dollar and cents, you know, transactional. Right. It's just like educating your team or building a foundation like that is a different. I mean, I look at financial statements. I'm (laughs) accountable to some people, but I, I've learned to trust that good thing happens. Good things happen and money flows when you have good intention. People want to be a part of Mm -hmm. a place that makes them feel valued. It makes so much sense. It it is a, to, to, for that to be the driver Mm -hmm. is a very, it's a unique unique way to look at it. it's the right way to look at it but it takes some courage to go down that path versus transactional yeah during the pandemic i certainly uh focused a bit more on the finances that was that was really tough like not having revenue coming in but yeah. still having to pay rent and insurance and keep good staff on yeah. and like that that's when i really was looking at the numbers and mm-hmm. crunching mm-hmm. um and that got a little bit that got scary yep. certainly and we we saw lots of businesses in the yep. city um not be able to survive but I think that we tried to do the right things as yeah. well. One of, the, one of the big things that we tried to do was give refunds to families because there were so many facilities that were just doing credits. Mm-hmm. And for us, I put myself in the shoes of yep. my parent. Like, if my daughter's doing an activity, I would have an expectation that the facility would give us a refund back, yeah. you know? And so we did that. And I think that that has turned around mm-hmm. into something good. Uh, people remember that people remember that and and they trust you yeah right yeah, you're doing the right thing that we're doing the right thing and, yep. and yeah we don't yeah <laughs> it's good i'm a ptsd man <laughs> oh, i can't imagine right? the last 18 pivot. months if you say the word pivot i'm gonna <laughs> oh, punch your face <laughs> um i know you're a super busy dude so i want to be uh, cognizant of your time so there's only one ca- one question i ask the guest when i say calgary where does your head go when you say calgary I, I think of opportunity and I think of community. I think Calgary, I've traveled the world. Calgary is, it's a community where people help each other, where people are kind and people are friendly and where you can really, there's an opportunity here to make something big and mm-hmm. to make a big impact. And you can feel it, hey? Like, mm-hmm. like I know you've been around the world multiple times and you can, it's that different. Like I, I've never been anywhere else. This is my home. This is all I know, but mm-hmm. there's a, Every time I land in Calgary, it just Something. feels, it feels safe. It feels secure. It feels open. It feels vast. It feels kind, hmm. familiar. And the people 
here are you look at each other in the eye and you yeah. say hi and yeah. you can have a random conversation with a stranger at a grocery store and it's not weird mm-hmm. you know if you go other places in the world people and i'm like i'm the guy that talks to strangers <laughs> and my mom you know you tell kids not to but i love talking to people i love learning their stories and calgary is a place with people that have a lot of cool stories mm. well yeah Obviously, right? right? This is this is why this whole damn show is spun <laughs> up because I know there's a lot of cool characters around. Yeah. Um, this was amazing. This was really cool to sit down with you. You know, my last memory of you, well, there's a couple. The one was at Cowie's house party. You were doing like flips on a trampoline and we were hanging out <laughs> around the hot tub. And to actually sit down and hear your story has been really cool. And uh, it'll be fun to watch what you get up to in the next whatever, 20 years. So awesome. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. Cool, man.